0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For the Secret Church 13 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC13. This is Secret Church 13, episode 10. But I don't want us to end with three controversial questions. I want us to end with seven critical conclusions from Revelation. Seven, perfect number in Revelation, right? So here we go. One, God is, and this is, this is just to sum up the whole night, God is sovereign. If one truth is clear from cover to cover in Revelation, this truth is clear. God is in control of all things at all times. So imagine, again, put yourself in the perspective of first century Christians who are struggling, who are suffering in the first century, being persecuted, tempted on all sides by the Roman Empire around them, and God says from the very beginning, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. And when you see, you read through these passages that I put in here, and everything that happens in the book of Revelation, it's clear. Even when the worst of things are happening, it's because God is permitting them to happen. Because God is directing this or that. He's directing the course of history ultimately. He's sovereign over it all. And this is good news. Not just for first century Christians, but for 21st century Christians. No matter what is happening in this world, where you live, where we live, no matter what is happening in North Korea or Iran or with China's economy or with rumors of war against Israel or in the Middle East, know this. No matter what is happening, history is not out of control. God is in control. And He's sovereign over it all. This is good news. It's good news to know that Kim Jong Un in North Korea is not sovereign overall. And neither is Ahmadinejad in Iran. He's not sovereign overall. Neither is the president of Afghanistan, president of Israel, or the president of the United States. None of them are sovereign overall. God holds them in the palm of his hand. God is sovereign. Not only God is sovereign, but second, Satan is subordinate. It's clear all throughout the book of Revelation that Satan is limited in his power by the sovereign prerogative of God. Regardless of what you may think about specific interpretation, application of Revelation 20, we know from all of Scripture that Satan does not have free reign in this world. And he does not have free reign in your life. All throughout Revelation, we read stories about this cosmic conflict between God and Satan, good and evil. But this is not some dualistic battle between two equal but opposing forces. This is not Star Wars, good and evil, dualism. This is not dualism, this is domination. We know how it's going to turn out in the end because God is the Almighty. He's sovereign. Satan's subordinate. He, Satan's limited. And ultimately, Satan is doomed. I love Revelation twelve twelve. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Oh yes, the devil knows this. The ultimate battle has already been fought at the cross of Christ and Satan has lost. He is doomed to be defeated. And the devil knows this for certain. Demons know this for certain. So we can know this for certain. Which leads to the third conclusion for Revelation. Here it is. Entire book of Revelation summed up in three words. Are you ready? Amidst all the complicated questions, confusion we might have about the book of Revelation, here's the point of the entire book summed up in three words. Our God wins. Ha! Our God wins. Revelation makes clear that the gospel of God will advance through the church to every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. They will all know his salvation, guaranteed. His gospel will advance through the church. His son will return for the church. Revelation 1.8 promises this. Revelation 11.15-7 tells us this. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And on that day, his greatness will be exalted all across the earth. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them will say to him who sits on the throne in the land, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. God, sovereign Satan, subordinate our God wins. Fourth conclusion, Then we must see the world in all its deception. We've got to see the world and all its deception. Revelation 17 gives us a picture of the seductive power of this world to lure us in with sensual pleasures and material possessions and temporary promises. Together with Revelation 13, we have a vision of a beast and a prophet and a prostitute, all of which are attempts to followers of Christ in the first century to pull them away from God. And I know I'm going quick here, but I'm going to sum up the message of Revelation. And the beast were exhorted, do not put your hope in government. Followers of Christ must never be duped into thinking the state holds the key to salvation. As long as your hope is in human government or in a human president, as good as bad as that government or that president may be, you will have a seriously flawed and unsteady foundation for your faith. Don't put your hope in government. The false prophet reminds us, don't even put your hope in religion and the religious systems of this world. Then the imagery of Babylon in Revelation 7 and 18 were urged. Do not put your hope in material influence and social acceptance in this world. This world is full of deceptive attractions, sensual pleasures, material possessions, the promise of satisfaction, the hope of security, the insatiable lust for power, the subtle lure of pride. All of these things surround us on a day-by-day basis. C.J. Mahaney said, Today the greatest challenge facing American evangelicals is not persecution from the world, but seduction by the world. Ah, Spurgeon said, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Put your finger on any prosperous page in the church's history and you will find a little marginal note. In this age, people could readily see where the church began and where the world ended. And the reality is we live in a day where you cannot tell where the world ends and the church begins. Study after study shows that our lifestyles as professing Christians look just like the world around us. We're just as materialistic, just as sexually immoral, and just as self-centered as the world. And the book of Revelation is calling us to come out and be separate. John is saying the church should look very different. This world that's head of full of deceptive attractions, is headed to a definite conclusion. Revelation says over and over again, it's going to fall apart. All these things in the world are going to burn up in the end. This world will pass away completely. This world will pass away suddenly. This world will pass away eternally. So don't build your life and bank or eternity on that which won't last. See it. The end of the pleasures and pursuits in this world, the possessions of this world. William Henderson says, try to visualize what John sees Taking the picture as a whole. Heaven itself curling up like a piece of paper, rolling up like a scroll. The sun, its light, blotted out so that it resembles a black sack used in mourning. The big full moon, a huge awe-inspiring bloody ball. The stars turned out of their orbits and plunging to the earth in great showers. The earth itself quaking violently, so that every house crashes to the ground and every mountain island suddenly disappearing. What a picture of dread and despair, of confusion and consternation for the wicked. The world is full of deceptive attractions that will one day be destroyed. The pleasures and possessions... Pursuits of this world will one day be no more. They're going to burn up. Their smoke will rise forever and ever. Satisfaction and security in the things of this world will not last. So don't build your life on these things. Don't build your life on love for the world when clearly love for the world and love for God cannot exist. Come out from her, my people, lest you take your part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. Here's the way the Bible puts it, plain and simple. Love for the world pushes out love for God. And love for God pushes out love for the world. So Christians, stop being so easily satisfied with the pleasures and possessions of this world when infinite joy has been offered us, in the words of C.S. Lewis. We're like ignorant children who go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We have so much more to live for. See it. Set your minds on things above and cause it to transform the way you live in this world. Which leads us to the next exhortation, a conclusion, really an exhortation. We must see the Christ in all of His glory. Revelation. It says from the very first verse, this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the book means. It's a revelation of Jesus. It's a portrait of Jesus. So see Jesus in Revelation. He's fully human and fully divine. Alpha and Omega. He's the fulfillment of prophecy and the final high priest. He is infinitely old, ageless, and infinitely wise. His wisdom knows no beginning and His wisdom knows no end. His purity has no error and His power knows no equal. His voice resounds with authority and His face radiates with light like the sun shining in full strength. Jesus had the first word in creation. He will have the last word in creation. Jesus Christ is the force behind all of human history. He was dead for a time, but he's alive for all time, forevermore. He's defeated death. He's the conquering lion and the slaughtered lamb. His worth is undisputed. Power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing belong to him. His work is unforgettable for all of eternity. We will never, ever forget the price the lamb has paid for our sin. And his worship is universal from every people, nation, language, and tribe. According to Revelation 12, His birth declared the death of the ancient serpent. His death defanged the adversary. And His resurrection demolished every accusation against the church. He is faithful and true. The faithful witness. Faithful and true witness. He's the righteous judge and messianic warrior. In righteousness he judges and makes war. Chapter 19, we see Jesus riding a white horse with the armies of heaven by his side. An assault against evil and injustice and unrighteousness in this world. Many crowns adorn his head and much mystery surrounds his name. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He conquers God's enemies and he reveals God's word. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and by the name the, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. He rules the nations of this world, and he brings God's wrath upon this world. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. His grace is free, and his joy is full. He's the Savior who came once, and he's the Sovereign who's coming back soon. Oh, four times Revelation closes. I'm coming soon. The time is near. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. So our hearts cry, come, Lord Jesus. We want to see Christ because no one and nothing compares to him. So see the Christ in all of His glory. Dennis Johnson encourages us. When you think of Jesus Christ, do you see Him in all the ways that Revelation's images portray Him? When you think that you've hidden your sins well from others, do you remember his eyes like flames? When fear grips your heart, fear for yourself, your family, or Christ's church, do you fight that fear with the picture of the rider on the white horse against whom the devil's worst last weapons are impotent? When you are confused, not knowing whom to trust or which path to take, do you hear the voice of the faithful witness ringing in your ears? These words are faithful and true. And do you turn expectantly to his words to find your way? When the accuser, though disbarred from heaven, renews his prosecution against your conscience, do you stand with John, an awestruck one, Gazing at the slain land, who poured out his blood to wash you clean and robe you in his own fine linen, bright and clean, to make you, yes, you, God's precious treasure. Ah, oh. see Christ of all His glory, and then follow. We must see the church in all her beauty. I love this. This letter written to the churches makes clear we are His body, the body of Christ, and one day Christ is coming back for His body. We are His bride. Oh, I love how Revelation envisions the church the bride of christ through the eyes of the groom see yourself as jesus sees you and then as a result we must see our lives in proper perspective don't see like the world sees see like god sees and when we do we will fight against sin We'll see sin for what it is, for the devastation and damnation it brings, and we will fight against it. Revelation urges us resist compromise. Don't compromise with the ways of this world. So easy to just blend in. Don't blend in, refuse complacency. By giving your affections to the things of this world over and over again. We see that in these letters to the churches. God promises blessings for the faithful. Blessed is the one. Blessed are they who persevere. God promises judgments for those, judgment for those who fall away. And that's the thing. There were men and women in Asia Minor in these churches who were falling away from God. They were giving it in the ways of this world. And God gives this book to say, don't fall away. You've got warnings over and over again revelation 25 216 222 revelation 33 316 3, somber warnings to false christians who are faking it in the church evident by their falling away and god said repent turn from your sin your sin is not to be toyed or trifled with disobedience damns so turn from sin run from the race of this world god don't miss it god graciously gives warnings to christians about falling away to keep christians from falling away that's the picture. Some people say, well, I thought once you were saved, you're always saved. And there's no question that Scripture teaches once you're in Christ truly, you're in Christ forever. Once we've united our lives with Christ by faith, we have an inheritance that will never pass away. At the same time, nowhere in Scripture do we see the Christian life described as this nice smooth ride down a wh- hill with the wind blowing through our hair. No, the Christian life is a battle. Where we face temptations on all sides. And, and Jesus is giving us warnings. God gives us warnings all throughout His Word. Don't fall away and he gives us those warnings to keep us from falling away by grace through faith in christ followers of christ true followers of christ will persevere to the end we know that we've got pictures of that all throughout scripture how will they persevere though by grace through faith in christ true followers of christ work to persevere to the end they endure to the end to be saved so by the grace of christ christ fight against sin in this world endure amidst suffering in this world revelation is a call for endurance and faith among the saints. The church is under attack in the first century. Christians are losing their lives. They're wondering, where is God? Does God see our tears? Does God hear our prayers? Why are why are enemies prospering while we're suffering? And you know, you and I may not be experiencing persecution like that, like people in the first century and some people in the world today, brothers and sisters in the world today are experiencing persecution. But the cries of Christians in first century Asia Minor are echoed in thousands of ways across These places tonight, where we are gathered, where you are asking, Why cancer in me, God? And why is my marriage falling apart? What is happening to my son or daughter? Why did I lose my job? Why do I feel so lonely? God, do you hear my prayers? Do you see my tears? And the book of Revelation is written to endure us and encourage us to endure amid suffering. Revelation says, Don't be surprised by this. The call to Christ is a call to suffering. John says from the very beginning, we're partners together in tribulation and patient endurance. So don't be surprised by suffering in this world, and don't be overcome in it. Over and over again, the theme in Revelation is conquer, overcome. To the one who conquers, I will grant. To the one who conquers, they will not be hurt by the second death. The one who conquers, the one who conquers, the one who conquers. Over and over again, the Revelation is calling us to say, Christ is in control. You can conquer through faith in Christ. So overcome in the midst of suffering. You're a conqueror in Him. Endure amidst suffering as you proclaim the gospel of Christ. Oh, church, with all this news, what the Bible says about heaven, hell, and the end of the world, with the good news of Christ in us, we we cannot be silent. I hope that truth just rings in your heart when you leave tonight. Decide. Decide. Tonight, not to live your Christian life in silence anymore. Proclaim the gospel of Christ. Let's pray passionately. whole picture in Revelation 8. Our cries go up. His kingdom comes down. Pray. Let's give sacrificially. In view of heaven, hell, and the end of the world, let's stop storing up treasures on earth, Christians let start storing up treasures in heaven. We're the wealthiest people here in the West to ever walk planet Earth, so let's give sacrificially till it hurts for the spread of the gospel to the ends of the Earth. There are no U-Hauls attached to hearses. Life is short. Death is coming, and we can't take anything from this world with us. So stop storing up in barns. Give it away for the glory of Christ. Let's pray passionately. Give sacrificially. Let's go confidently to everyone you know. Go to the ends of the earth. Every nation, tribe, and people on the planet. You say, well, that could cost me. It could cost my life, my family. That would change everything. Yes, it will. It could cost everything. But in light of everything we've seen, let's go confidently and let's die willingly. If there's anything that Revelation 6 makes clear, it's clear that Jesus still hasn't come back because there's still more martyrs to be slain. Still more men and women to lose their lives for the nations of this world. You say, isn't this a dangerous way to talk from the very beginning to now? Isn't this the way Muslim suicide bombers talk about being martyrs? No, 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 no. It's totally different. That is dying out of hate. Suicide bombers die because of hate. We're talking about laying down our lives because of love about laying down our lives to show and to spread the love of God in Christ to peoples around the world. And we would be fooling ourselves to think that we can penetrate the unreached peoples of the earth without experiencing the loss of some of our lives and some of our families across the church. These people groups are unreached for a reason. They're hard to reach. They're difficult and dangerous to reach. All the easy ones are taken. The ones that are left will oppose you when you and I try to reach them. You say, well, why do we go then? And the answer is simple. It's gospel. We go because we have a God who came to us when we were resistant to being reached by him. And he sent his son to sacrifice his life for our salvation. So it just makes sense for us who believe this gospel to die willingly in order to reach others with this good news. Our brothers and sisters around the world know this, they're losing their lives now. May we not sit back and even just send our money so they can lose their lives while we watch TV, play games, and get fat on the things of this world. May loyalty to Christ and his commission be more important to us than life itself. Proclaim the gospel, pray, give, go to everyone you know To the ends of the earth, and as you do, as we do, hasten the coming of Christ. Say, what do you mean, hasten the coming of Christ? Speed along the return of Christ. Can we do that? That's what, exactly what 2 Peter 3 says. You read through this text and you will see Peter write, hasten, verse 12, hasten the coming of the day of God. Usher it in. Oh, think about it. If Jesus has taught us to pray and to plead, your kingdom come. If Jesus has promised that this gospel will be proclaimed to every nation, tribe, people, and tongue, then we don't just sit back and wait for him to return. We give our lives working for him to return. So my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my prayer for us at the end of all of this, in light of the book of Revelation, in light of all that we've seen, God, give us unwavering holiness in this world. Unwavering holiness. They so got a quote to from C.T. Studd, wealthy Englishman who sold everything he had to take the gospel of the nations. Studd's family, various Christian workers were brought in to dissuade him from going overseas, but he went anyway. First to China, then he went to India. At the age of 50, he decided retirement was not an option for the Christians, so he went to Sudan where he spent the rest of his life. His grave became the stepping stone for the worldwide evangelization, evangelization crusade which spread gospel seeds all across Africa, Asia, and South America. He once wrote, believing that further delay would be sinful, some of God's insignificance and nobodies in particular, but trusting in our omnipotent God have decided on certain simple lines according to the book of God to make a definite attempt to render the evangelization of the world an accomplished fact. Too long we have been waiting for one another to begin. The time for waiting is past. The hour of God has struck. In God's holy name, let us arise and build. We will not build on the sand, but on the bedrock sayings of Christ. And the gates and minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should such men as we fear before the whole world, I before the sleepy, lukewarm, faithless, namby pamby Christian world, we will dare to trust our God. We will venture our all for Him. We will live and we will die for Him. And we will do it with His joy unspeakable, singing aloud in our hearts. We will a thousand times sooner die trusting only in our God than live trusting in man. And when we come to this position, the battle is already won and the end of the glorious campaign in sight. We will have the real holiness of god not the sickly stuff of talk and dainty words and pretty thoughts we will have real holiness one of daring faith and works for jesus christ oh god raise up sixty thousand insignificance and nobodies to trust in your omnipotence like that no matter what it costs just no matter what risk it involves god give us unwavering holiness in this world with unshakable hope in the world to come I love the way C.S. Lewis ends his last paragraph in the Narnia series. He writes, The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before, yes, into Revelation, into the Bible is only the beginning of a story where every chapter will be better than the one before, and so we cry out with saints in heaven, joined with saints around the world, and we say, "Amen, come, Lord Jesus." So, with that, I want to invite those of you who are here in buildings like this. I want to invite you to stand. If you're in a home and it feels weird to stand, you just sit or stand or fall on your knees. But I want us, on this Good Friday, well, it's not really Friday anymore, but on what's close to Good Friday, to sing a a hymn together that reminds us of the first coming of Christ and what He did on the cross on our behalf and bids us to look forward to the second coming of Christ and the culmination of redemption and restoration that we've talked about tonight. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources at Radical.net.